Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. I am Aaron, and I'm glad that you guys are here on this Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. Yes, he is. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that you're here. We are uh, launching today our first message in our Say Yes series. And uh, the reason for that is you're going to find out today, saying yes to the new life that Christ has for us. You know, Easter is a day of celebration. That's why we're here, isn't it? That the grave is empty. And we're going to talk today about what that means. But you know, it's not just a celebration. Easter, Easter is a promise. It's a promise of new life. It's a promise that this is not all there is. It's a promise there's so much more. In fact, Easter is not just a promise. It's an invitation. And we'll talk about that too. That God brought life where death reigned. And he invites us into that life. Go off our Say Yes series. We're going to talk about a couple of things. First, we're going to talk about how Jesus' resurrection provides us that new life. We're going to talk about what that new life means and also how we can say yes to this new life in Christ. But before we get to that, and of course, every week uh, we like to memorize some, some of the scripture because disciples of Jesus know God's word. That's important. And so our memory verse for this series, it comes to us from Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this passage really becomes the centerpiece, the cornerstone for the next two months we'll be going through. And so today we're going to get our first step into setting this into our heart and memorizing. So here's something that we're going to do because uh, we're going to stick with this scripture for the rest of this series for the next two months. We're going to really begin to let it uh, speak to us. What does this mean? How does it apply into our life? And so to start this week, I encourage you on the, in your connection card, there's a perforated memory verse thing, and you can just pull that off much easier than I did right there. And then what you could do is I would invite you take that, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet or your purse or tape it to the back of your phone somewhere that you're going to see it. And as you do, just remind yourself of what the truth of God's word has to say. Prepare your hearts to receive what God has for us these next, uh, these next couple of months. All right, now that you have that, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We just memorized the passage there. And so I thought it would be handy to start our series actually in that scripture. Now, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, it was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ephesus was a, a city where, uh, as a church began to grow, it was a center place for a worship of a, a, a different kind of God. And uh, as the church began to grow there, the, the Christians faced a lot of resistance, both directly through persecution, but more indirectly just from the cultural uh, the change of worshiping Christ versus worshiping in this, these old foreign religion. And so uh, what happened was is that the Christians that were there who were brought up in this, this uh, foreign culture, uh, this uh, Ephesian culture, had, were beginning to have a really hard time. What does it mean to live this new life in Christ? How do you do that in the midst of a culture that doesn't even understand what that means? And so uh, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this book. To the, to the to this, it's really a letter to the church at Ephesus, explaining what does the new life in Christ mean, and how do we live it? Just an encouragement, and so that's where we begin today. Now, if you have one of our Bibles, you're going to be turning to page 814. If you forgot your Bible today, don't worry about it. We got lots of them. We are a church. They're back there by the sound booth, and the uh, there's a bookshelf right there. You can grab one, and if you need a Bible, please keep it. That'd be our gift to you this morning. Now, as we're in there this morning, we're going to talk about two essential aspects of what this new life means, right? 
And the first aspect of new life is that new life means to be alive, right? It's the opposite of being dead, right? That's why we're celebrating on Easter Sunday that Jesus is alive. He's not dead, right? So new life begins with not being dead, which is good news. But you ever wonder why you need new life? Look for with me right here at chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 3. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work with those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's a pretty hard place to be, right? That we're dead. Now understand that death is, uh, death is not, a, when a person dies physically, they become separated from their physical body. But this is not what this passage is talking about. It's not what the passage that we'll be talking about today even is discussing. There's a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. What can our spirit be separated from? It reminds me of last series, our last series we just ended. We had a memory verse through it. It was Romans 6, 23, and it said this, For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? This wage that we have is death, and it's a separation from whom? Well, it's from God. And so let me just kind of illustrate that out for you. I'm a, I'm a picture kind of person, right? So let me illustrate that out for you. There's us. There on that left side, we people. And we have this thing, it's the wage of sin is death, and our sin has separated us from God. That's what that death is. Now, there's some important things that are in there. It says that uh, sin is what gives us this wage. What is sin? Well, sin is when every time we do something that we want to do that God doesn't want us to do. It's in contradiction to His righteousness or His holiness. When God says, tell the truth, and we said, no, God, I think I want to lie. Right? God says to be content, right? and instead say, no, nah, we're going to envy. And God says to love other people, and we said, no, nah, I'd prefer to hate them. God says to forgive, and we say, ah, I'd prefer not to, Lord. Right? Sin is whenever we make a choice to live something in contradiction to God's righteousness, the right way of living. Sin is also when our own moral compass leads us astray. When we say to God, you said this was right, but I say it's wrong. Or you said that's wrong, Lord, and I say it's right. That is also sin. Sin, it says, gives us a wage. And I like how that works, how Scripture is very practical, because most of us understand what it's like to get a paycheck. Praise God. Right? Have you ever gone and worked for somebody? Right? You earn something. And it's only right for your boss to then pay you. If they didn't pay you, they would be unrighteous. Wouldn't you agree? It'd be unjust if you went out and you worked really hard, and then you get to the end of the day, and the paycheck, he's like, nah, I decided not to give it to you. That would be wrong. Well, our sin earns us something. It earns us separation. And because God is righteous, He has to give us that separation. That is what it earns. And that wage that we earn is that death. This is kind of where we begin. And it's not a happy place. And the thing is, is that we can't, we've created this gap, we've earned it. And so oftentimes we recognize we want to get close to God. A lot of people in our life, we say we want to be close back to God. We, want to, we don't want to be separated from Him. 
And so we try to bridge that gap, and we use a couple of things typically as humans to do that. The first thing we use is something called good works, right? And it's, we even have memorized something that says that we, were, we are God's handiwork, his creation, right? We were designed, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Nothing wrong with good works. The thing is, is that for us, though we do these good works, oftentimes to earn our way back to God, but they fall short. The other thing that we, we find is that not just good works, but also times we would turn to something else called religion. Religion is basically understanding God's ways, His laws, understanding what God wants. We dedicate ourselves to studying the Scripture and to doing all the things that God says He wants us to do. And we're hoping, oftentimes people put their hope in that to bridge the gap. Now let me explain why those don't work. The first one, just because we know what God wants, does that mean we're going to do what God wants? I mean, Jesus said, hey, you, you, you want to follow me? He says, okay, do you want to earn that way? He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Are you perfect? No. Just because we know what God wants doesn't mean we can't be disobedient. Let me ask you another question, more practical. Uh, in our country, in our, who knows the law probably better than anyone? Lawyers. When we say they spend their entire life, and there's a value to lawyers. There's a reason we pay them lots of money, because they know all the laws and how not to break those laws, right? But is it possible for a lawyer to be a criminal? I mean, if a lawyer broke the law, could he go before the judge and say, well, your honor, I know what I did was wrong. I mean, you know, shooting somebody in the face is bad. I get that, but I understand it's a broken law. That, that wouldn't be a good defense. The thing is that all of us have violated God's laws. So we can be very religious. We can understand what God has for us, what he wants. But that's no defense against the crimes that we've already committed against him. So religion fails us. How about good works? Right? Do good works help us? I mean, so many people, I think this is the most practical way to do it. We say that we want to do things to earn our way back to God. But that would never work and explain why. And think about it, it doesn't work in any other place of our life. That, for example, uh, let's take that lawyer who committed a crime. Let's just say he committed murder, right? The fact that he is a lawyer doesn't help him. But how about this? He's been a real upstanding citizen other than for that small thing that he murdered somebody. Could he go before the judge and say, Your Honor, I get it. I murdered somebody in cold blood, and I feel really bad about that. I really do. Uh, but... I have obeyed all kinds of other laws. I mean, even today, I went to a full dead stop at a stop sign, and there was nobody else there. I paid my taxes, right? I don't jaywalk. And in the future, I'm going to do all the laws. I'm going to obey all the laws. Would the judge say, well, in that case, not guilty? No. Do not erase past bad actions. It just doesn't work that way. Our God is a just God. And so we find that when we try to live our life with good works, it also falls short. And that's why it says in Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And that may sound like bad news, but it's really not. It's great news. A lot of people in this world believe they're putting their trust, right? Their entire salvation based upon trust in those two things, in religion or good works. But think how exhausting that is. If you're trying to get close to God by religion, how much religion is enough? I mean, is it only like the really, really, really ridiculously, annoyingly religious people that'll make it? Because who'd want to be in heaven with them? Right? 
I mean, how much do you have to memorize? How much do you have to know? Is there a big quiz when I get to heaven that says this is all the things that you should have done? Is there, it's like, I have to score so high? Is that how it works? I mean, think about how ridiculously terrifying our existence would be if religion was our way back to God. Or how about just doing enough good works? How terrifying that would be. If I had to somehow, like a lot of people say, well, I know I'm going to get to heaven because I'm better than most people. Logically, what you're saying is that somehow at the very end, God's going to line everybody up from the most wicked person to the most righteous person, and then somewhere around the 49% mark, right, you're going to say, all right, y'all go in, right, because you're better than most. You think how crazy that would be? How do you know where you fit? And beyond that, then we would be in competition with one another. I would want you to sin because it increases my odds, Right? We would celebrate the fact that there are people that are more lost than us. That's just crazy. Or, another way people think of it is maybe if I have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then that's how I'm going to get into heaven. Which, we've talked about, it doesn't work that way anyway, but think how crazy and nerve-wracking that would be if this is really how God judges us. I mean, for example, how do you know how much your good deeds weigh? I mean, is, you know, saying something nice to somebody who you really want to smack, does that weigh more than, you know, just paying your taxes on time? I mean, really, where is that at? And how much do it our, how does that weigh against our sin? I mean, really, don't we all kind of think better of ourselves than we really are? And how would I ever know? How would I ever have the piece of confidence in this? We would spend our entire lives exhausting ourselves completely, trying to be good do-gooders. Not because we love people, not because we love God, but simply because we're terrified. That is no way to live. This is not bad news. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Praise Jesus. That is good. But that does leave us still separated from God and alone. And that's terrifying. That's why we read in verse 3, where it says there, all of us lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful flesh. Right? We're all sinners. We're all separated and following his desires and thought. And then it says here, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Not like we think this in the world. We say, well, how could a loving God allow difficult things happening in this world. Do you understand that humanity hijacked this world from God? We declared war on the Almighty. God is not working on behalf of making this world a great place. He doesn't negotiate with terrorists. There is wickedness in the world not because God causes it, but because we do. Because we do. We are deserving of His wrath, and I'm not just those people over there that do those bad things, but me. All of us. We have separated ourselves from him. We have deserved a wage of wrath. That is where we begin. And on our own, we are lost to death. There is nothing we can do to bridge that gap. It was beyond our ability. We cannot. We have abandoned God entirely. Fortunately, however, we're not on our own. That's what what Easter reminds us. That's what it's all about. You know this verse there in that little red box there says, For the wage of sin is death? That's grammatically correct. Right? When we look in Scripture, that's how it is. That's what we find is in there. And there's something in there in the grammar that's really 
important that I want you to see. It's right down there. It's, it's called a comma. You see that comma? I hope so, because I made it. Cool animation for you. That comma is there for a reason. It's not a period. Can you imagine how terrifying and awful it would be if that was a period? If, for the wages of sin is death, period. Happy Easter, go home. <laughs> Eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. <laughs> right? That's what it, how awful would it be? No hope. But there's a comma. That comma leads to something amazing. One of the most beautiful butts in the Bible. That's pastor humor. <laughs> right? There's a but. Something different. We don't have to have the wage of sin that leads to death. But what? <laughs> but the free gift of God is eternal life. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Do you see this? That we're, there was sin that we had? We can now have God? Do you see that there was a wage, but instead of a wage, we can have a gift? Do you say instead of death, we can have eternal life? That's amazing. That is incredible. And we say this, that, that instead of sin, our life can be something different. Instead of doing things that are broken and hurt ourselves and hurt the rest of other people and hurt the world, we can have something different. We can have God himself. That is just unbelievable. Instead of a wage, instead of what we deserve, instead of what we have earned, we can have a gift. And aren't gifts fun? Gifts are given not because we earn things. Gifts are given because we're loved. Right? That's, that's the whole point. That God gave us something that we could never have. What is that? Instead of the death we deserved, He gives us life. And not just life, eternal life. Life that doesn't run out. That is amazing. In verses 4 and 5, I want you to see this for yourself. It says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. Awesome. This is the most incredible thing that I think we could ever imagine. We don't have to have what we deserve, and we can have precisely what we need but could never deserve. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's amazing. But how do we get there? You see that there's this gift that God gives us, but we're still separated from. How do we cross from the point of death to the point of life? Well, Romans 6.23 explains. It says the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how that worked. Jesus bridges the gap. See, we weren't alone. What people couldn't do for ourselves, only God could do for us. That's what we celebrate, that God himself came in the person of Jesus to us when we couldn't go to him because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's an amazing thing. That God put on flesh and came to us to give us something that we needed so desperately that we could not earn. Let me explain how that worked. There's a verse in Romans 4.25 that explains it. It says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus didn't die on the cross because he committed a crime. He didn't die on the cross because he sinned. He was sinless and perfect. Now, we know that the wage of sin is death. That's what it earns. That's what sin costs us. Death is separation from life, right? You had life, and you get separated from that life. 
you have how many lives? One. You have one life. One. One life, one sin. And so when you sin, the wage of that, you get separated from your life. Now let's just say that Jesus, perfect, never sinned, but he was just a man. Just a really, really, really good guy. Let's say Jesus wanted to say, I will pay, I will accept the wage for your sin. I will give you my life and I will accept your sin. How many sins could he die for? One. Now, I don't know about you, but my suspicion is you're probably like me and have sinned more than once today. (laughs) Right? Here's the thing is, if Jesus was a perfect man, just a man, and he died on a cross, he couldn't save anybody. That's why it's so amazing that God himself came. That's why it's so important that Jesus is God. Because unlike a man, God has not just one life, but he has infinite life. That's part of being God. This is the amazing thing is that Jesus wasn't just able to pay for one sin. He was able to pay for all sins. Because as many sins as humans have sinned, and I would say up into the trillions, I'm pretty sure we're by now, is still a finite number. And an infinite life can pay for finite sins and still have change left over. Which is why this passage in Romans 4.25 says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. To the resurrection was the proof that Jesus was able to pay for all of the death. Right? He paid for every single sin. He took on all of the sin for all of people, for all time. He was able to pay for it. And then he got his change back. And infinity minus anything is still infinity, which is why Jesus rose from the grave, infinite life, eternal life. It's his, and it's his now to share, which is what he gives for us. The resurrection is the proof that the sins were paid for. If there was no resurrection, we would look at the cross and say, poor pitiful Jesus, that man who died and sacrificed his only one life to pay for only one sin. How sad. But because he rose from the grave, we get to say, yes, God can pass all of my sins present, all of the sins future, all the sins for anybody in the entire world. He paid for it all. It's the proof that he's God and he could do it. And so therefore, he was raised to life for our justification. It proved that now I am just, I am right before God. All of my sins now are paid for. And I'll tell you what, what's been paid for can never be paid for again. This is good news. That's why I say, for the wage of sin is death, the free gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why it's so important that faith has to be in Christ. This is the only way. There is no other person, no other prophet, no other teacher, nothing else in all of history has come and paid for your sins. And doesn't have to, because Jesus did. Salvation comes through him, and as Jesus said, by, by no one else. All right, he is the way to God. And he alone, how great is it that there's a way to God? Jesus bridges that gap for us. And so new life is now available through Christ. But how do you get there? We have a bridge. Bridges are amazing. Bridges bring us places that we couldn't normally go. But bridges are useless unless they're crossed. You ever notice that? You might have the bridge, the best place ever, but if you don't cross that bridge, you stay right where you're at. Have you ever been hiking in a national park, right? And you're going up hiking, and then there's a spring, like a stream there, and you're like, I don't want to get in that water. And then you look, and oh, somebody built a bridge. And you're like, yes. 
right? And if you see that bridge and you cross the bridge, then you can keep going on your path and you can get to where you want to go. It's a wonderful thing. Christ is our bridge back to God. He has done it. But the thing is that we have to go through him back to God. How do you do that? Well, read verses 8 and 9. It explains. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. This is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that after that's our memory verse. talks about how when we're back with God, we're kids' handiwork. But did you hear how we crossed that bridge? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Which makes perfect sense because anytime you walk on any bridge, it's exactly what you are expressing. Right? Faith is trusting in something, right? Absolutely trusting in something. When you walk across the bridge, you are placing all of your faith in that bridge. I went through the, the Royal Gorge. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a bridge to nowhere. Jesus luckily brings us somewhere, but if you go up, there's a tourist trap, but you can walk across this really high bridge, and it's scary because there's a better done a good job, right? And the wind comes and it shakes just a tiny bit, and you're like, hmm, right? You have to place your faith in it. None of us go anywhere in life without faith. In fact, all of you came here today by faith. You didn't test it. Most of you didn't call us, say, hey, are you having church today? You pretty much by faith accepted it's Easter probably, right? You didn't test your chairs before you sat down on them. You didn't know if I wasn't going to be devious and pull out of the chairs, all the, the screws and stuff. No, you trusted it. You sat down. It was reasonable. If you live your life without faith, you're an unreasonable person. If every time you take a, a, a sip of coffee, you have to test it chemically to make sure it wasn't poison, right? If you had to live your life without faith, you would be called crazy, what we have is faith, but it's a reasonable faith. We place our faith in Jesus because we have the evidence that he raised from the dead. We have the proof that he's God. That gives us reason to say, this bridge is solid. And that's why we can cross it. So we cross this bridge by faith. But what is faith? How do you have faith in Jesus? Isn't that a difficult question? Because faith isn't sold in the stores. You can't just buy it in a box, say, here's my faith. You can't bring this gift or like open up your closet and say, yep, I've got enough faith. How do you know you have faith? Well, faith is an inner, it's an inner declaration, but it has to have an outward expression, doesn't it? You can say I have faith in anything, but if, unless you actually put your trust in something, you have no faith. You can say, I trust that bridge to hold me, but I'm not going to walk on it. You don't have faith. So the scripture gives us several things that are expressions of faith, outward expressions that let us know that our faith is real, that help us express our faith so that it is real. And what are these expressions of faith that we find in Scripture? There's six of them. First one, faith is expressed through something called belief. Belief is an assent of the mind, right? It's a, it's a decision of the mind that says, God, I'm going to trust you. Just like any expression of faith, we have to start there, right? When I say, I might have doubts, I don't know everything, and I'll tell you, if you ever think you got it all figured out, you've got God figured out, you need a new God because your God fits in your head and your head's too small, okay? We need a God that's bigger than our head. We need a God that we couldn't invent. And so because of that, all Christians, everybody's going to have some level of doubt. We're going to say, there are things I don't quite get, and we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to, to unravel this great mystery and to know this amazing, unfathomable God. There's going to be doubts, and we're not always going to understand how and why God works the way he does, but belief says, despite those things, I have a, yep, he died for my sins, and the resurrection is the evidence that he rose from it. My sins are, are forgiven. That's belief. In spite of my doubt, I'm going to continue to trust him. In addition to belief, 
We're told to express our faith. So I thought confession was a really weird conversation I'd have in a priest in a phone booth, right? And as fun as that was, I'm grateful that's not what confession is in here, what Scripture is talking about. Confession is identifying with Jesus. That's what it means. I'm confessing him. It's like uh, when the Broncos season, I get to wear my Broncos jersey. I'm confessing the Broncos. I'm like, I'm with them, right? That's what I do. Or the Rockies right now, or the Avs, right? We confess them. We're saying, I'm with them. Well, confession in Christ is I am now in Christ. I'm now his child. I'm now his follower. I'm part of his family. It's identifying with Christ in name, in word, but also in our deeds, how we live our lives. That's confession. In addition to our confession, we have this wonderful thing called repentance. Repentance sounds like a scary word, but it's a very practical thing. It's just that I'm changing how I'm living. I used to live like I was the boss of my life, and I made some pretty bad decisions, right? I did some good things, but I also did stuff that made me deserve death, and so that wasn't great. So repentance says, instead of trusting me and following me as my own boss, I'm going to follow Jesus as my boss. He's given me a really great book to explain kind of how to, what I should do and what's morally right and all those things, and I'm going to begin trusting him and start living that way. I'm not saved by doing these things, but as an expression of faith, I'm going to start living this way. That's an amazing thing. Now, the cool thing about belief, confession, repentance is they're not one-time events. I'm going to get nerdy with just a second, but it's all. Just, just one second to be nerdy. In the Greek, there's different ways to do verbs, right? And so you can have verbs that are very precise. And the, the verbs that are the expression of this, belief, confession, repentance, are what's called aorist, which means that they have a starting point but no ending point, which means that they're not one-time events. Why does that matter? It means that when I believe in Christ, my faith is that I'm going to start believing and I'm going to continue believing. There's never a time in my life where I stop trusting the Lord. Think how cool that is. It's not that I believed in Jesus, but I believe in Jesus continually for the rest of my life, trusting him. When in the midst of the difficult times, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the hardship, he is there and he's trustworthy. And I always have an opportunity to say, God, I'm trusting you today. How cool is that? How about this, confession? I always, from this point on, get to identify with Christ. Think how amazing what a gift that is. Have you ever had a friend that embarrassed you? Or maybe when you're a teenager, it was your parents, right? When, like, you didn't want them to identify with you? You're like a friend who was, like, horrible hair day, didn't brush their teeth, doesn't want to match their clothes and all this, and like, hey, I'm Aaron's friend, and you're like, oh, man, Right? Even living great, Christ allows us to identify with him. Think how amazing that is. Every single day, when I'm cleaned and washed up and I'm doing things well and I'm representing him well and the days that I'm just blowing it, God doesn't say, hey, stand in the corner until you get your act together and then you can come back. No, every day is an opportunity for confession. Every day is an opportunity that God says, I want to identify with you. I want you to identify with me. Every single day. Or how about this, repentance. Repentance isn't one time thing. It's not that I repented in the past. It's like every single moment, every day, I get to say to God, I want to do what you want and not what I want because what you want is so much better. Every single time that I fall down, repentance is there available for me to say, God, help me back up. Get me on the right track. Every single time my crazy ideas come in there and I start doing stupid things, repentance is available and I can express my faith again that Christ allows me to come back to Christ, to back to God. How amazing is that? Every single day, continually expressing my faith in these. This is the Christian walk. It is a great walk. It changes us profoundly. 
as amazing as it is that those are continual expressions of faith, there is one weakness, is that they're continual expressions of faith. And there are times in our life our faith is strong, and there's times in our life our faith is weak. And it's like that for every Christian. Even think of the great uh, St. Peter, right? On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was bold in faith. He was walking with the Lord, and then he wasn't, and he denied Jesus, not just once, but three times. Did God use Peter? Yes, he did. The thing is, sometimes our belief can be very weak. It can be the size of a mustard seed. Sometimes we have so many doubts. We're like, Lord, I'm just clinging to you only by the fact that I don't know where else to go. <laughs> right? I'm not going to abandon you, but I've got a lot of doubts. Sometimes our belief is weak. It's the size of a mustard seed. How about our confession? There are times that we might even be like Peter where we deny Jesus out of fear or sometimes out of shame. Or how about sometimes our repentance is just thin. There are times that we fall back into old sins. There are times we go back into the old addictions. There are times that we say yes to self and to bad things. And our, and our repentance is nothing more than just saying, Lord, I know that I'm wrong. But didn't Jesus say that the faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains? Here's the secret to that. It was never the faith that moved the mountain. That's what our faith is in. And I'll tell you what. A mustard seed size of an infinite God is still the infinite God. And God can move any mountain he wants to. And so, when my belief, confession, and repentance are weak, it's not that I'm less saved. I can't be. And he's real, and he's out there, and the Bible calls him the accuser. And this is what he does. When our faith is weak, he will be there whispering in your ear and sometimes shouting, you are not loved. You are not worthy. You should be ashamed. God doesn't want anything to do with you. You should be separated from him. You need to leave. God doesn't want you. He'll tell you this. And the times that we need God the most, when the enemy accuses us and tells us that our faith isn't good enough, and that's oftentimes what separates us, allows, causes us to drift even further. That's why I think God gives us another expression of faith, one that isn't continuous, one that's a one-time thing. And it's called this. It's called baptism, which actually comes from the Greek word baptizo. That's the only other time I'm geeky for you. Baptizo. It just means to be immersed. It means to be dunked. What's so amazing about being dunked? Well, nothing if it's not by faith. If it's not by faith, it's just a funny bath. But by faith, this one-time event as an expression, it's an expression of my belief in Jesus as my Lord. There's a reason that I'm in the water going to be, a, going to be submerged. I am trusting God. I'm appealing to God, as the Scripture says, for a clean conscience. That's what it is. And in baptism, I'm expressing my faith also in confession. When I am baptized, I am ascending to myself and the rest of the community and the rest of the world. I am dead to my old self and I am now alive in Christ. I am his. I'm a new creature. Baptism is also a one-time event where we get to express our faith in this thing called repentance. The reason I'm being baptized is I'm saying yes, Lord, to you. When I'm being baptized, I die to my old life, my old way of doing things. As I'm being raised again, I am a new creature, but I'm a new creature in Christ. I am part of his family now. I'm part of his kingdom now. It is his rules over my life, not mine. A declaration of repentance. In baptism, I have that one-time event. It becomes an anchor for me. So when the enemy comes at my moments of weakness and say, you are not good enough, I say, I never was, but Jesus is. And he raised again, and my sins are paid for. And it's in that moment I can run back to God. Baptism is beautiful. But you know, baptism is awesome and as beautiful it is, is not our final expression of faith. There is one more, and I'm so grateful for it. It's called this. It's called discipleship. Discipleship is when things get fun. 
Think about your birthday. Was that your best day? I mean, not your last birthday. I mean your first birthday. Your first birthday. It was not the most fun day of your life, but that's the one we celebrate, isn't it? Year after year after year, it's worthy of celebration. It's like a day for a party. You get presents and all that kind of stuff. It's a great day. But if you went back to the first birthday and you like interviewed yourself on that first birthday, this is probably what you'd say. You'd be like, ah! You know, if I was to uh, translate that into, you know, you're, you're screaming into like thoughts. I imagine if you asked a baby, an infant, a newborn, uh, hey, is this your best day? You'd be like, this is a weird day. Everything changed, right? I was, I was comfortable the way everything I thought the world worked was all this one way, and now all of a sudden it's different, and there's these giants slapping me around, and I don't even know, and now i got to do stuff I never had to do, and it's weird. And they're speaking a gibbery language. Yeah, it's strange. When you come to Christ, it's a, it's a beautiful day, a day worthy of celebration. When you are born again, it is an awesome day. And the whole community, the whole church family, we celebrate that. And you will celebrate that all through eternity. But that first day, it's kind of weird. There's no way around it. Everything changes. There's a whole different way of living before you, a whole different kind of life. And I'll tell you what, aren't you glad that your birthdays got better than your first birthday? Because the best part of life doesn't happen when you first are born again, right? When you first are born, that's what it begins, but the best of life comes later as you learn how to human, right? As you begin to walk and do things, think about the stuff that you get to do that an infant can't do. You can eat steak and bacon. You can go to ball games, right? You can drive cars and do things a baby or just blow its little baby brain, right? You are amazing. As it says in verse 10, You're not just born to be infants. It says that we're not saved by works. It says, but you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Man, this is the life. This this discipleship is about growing up in Christ, and that's what we do together in the church. We are a family that grows together. This Easter, the first thing, the first important aspect of new life is that it means to be alive if you are separated from God today, if, if you have never expressed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right, if you haven't crossed that bridge by belief, confession, repentance, baptism, if you're not being discipled, then today is the day. Declare life. Let today be your resurrection day as well. Don't leave here dead. Don't leave here separated from God. Still an object of His wrath. Be an object of His love. He bridged heaven and earth for you. Today, let it be your day that you say yes. Say yes to God. How do you do it? Well, we have to believe, we have to confess, repent, but I know all that can be kind of scary. So this is what I want you to do. If this is your time, you say, you know what? Today, I am making a declaration. I'm going to follow the Lord. Or maybe it's a rededication. You've been following the Lord in the past, but you have wandered off. And you say, you know what? Today, I am rededicating my life to Christ. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take out your connection card. And I want you to write the word yes on it. I want you to make this as a declaration of yourself to God to say, yes, I am saying yes to God, to this life that he has for me. I want you to make sure you have your name on there, how I can contact you. But then I want you to hold on to this. You have that down. I want you to hold on to it. And at the end of the service, instead of dropping in the offering basket, I want you to take that card, and I'm going to be on the other side of this wall. There's a prayer room right there. It's a classroom. It's the first one in the hall. And I'm going to be right there. 
And I want you to come, and I want you to give me that card, so that way I can get to meet you. As your pastor, it's my joy to be able to walk beside you. I will help you take these steps of faith, so you can cross from death to life, time of life today. So make that as your declaration for the rest of us. I'm going to say, this new life means to be alive. And for those of us who have received this new life in Christ, the second aspect of this new life is this. New life means we get to live better. Aren't you happy about that? That you get to live better? Not just live differently, but to live better. The old way of life led to death. Do you want to see the difference between the two? Old way of life versus the new way? Look what it says. Verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins with you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, right? It says, all of us, once made along these people, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and follow the desires of our thoughts. Man, we were slaves to ourselves. We were slaves to sin. We were doing things we thought were right that were causing all kinds of pain and bad things. And we were doing bad things that we knew were bad. Compare that old life to the new life that you can have in Christ. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Talk about a better way to live. Not just average works, not just meh works. Good works to do things, live a life that matters. This is what we invite you to do in Christ. See, the new life that God gave us is so much more than just being alive. He, he's given us a whole better way to even exist. He's crafted you to be amazing. And that's what we're going to be spending the rest of this series about. The next uh, six weeks, seven weeks, we're going to be together. We're going to be talking about what does this mean? What is this better life? How do we say yes to God in this better way of life together? How do we do that? And we invite you to join us for that. But today, it's like we uh, bring this, uh, this portion of the service to a close. We have to remember that Jesus is the one who offers us this new life. Whether it's just to be alive or, and also to live better, it comes through Christ. Because God loves you. That's why. He wants you to be close to him. There's a reason for you. You are his handiwork. That's amazing. So this new life does mean to be alive, that you are no longer dead. You're no longer separated. You are close to God again, and that allows us to be close to one another. This new life means that we get to live a whole better way. What good news. And so this morning, on this Easter, this day we celebrate the resurrection. Let's remember the promise of the resurrection, a new life that it gives us. Let's say yes to the invitation of the resurrection. Let's follow Jesus. Let's cross that bridge. Say yes to new life. How do you do that? Depends on where you are. But I'll tell you what. Next steps are how discipleship works. It's a journey following Jesus, right? Jesus' disciples followed after him. So for us, every single day should be a next step of faith. And I've got some next steps for you, some just small expressions of faith that you can put your faith into practice. So if you have your connection card, I invite you to take it out on the back side. It says, this week, uh, my next steps this week are. And I've got some suggestions, some things that you can do to put faith into practice, to begin preparing your heart, to begin following Christ. And the first thing you might want to do is to memorize Ephesians 2.10. For the next six weeks or seven weeks, we're going to be going through and talking about this new life. But you declare now, I am setting this in your heart and your mind, that you are a, a masterpiece of God. He's got good works for you. Let this verse begin a, become a filter for you to see the world and what God has for you. Or maybe this week what you want to do is connect with him in his word. Read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Read about this new life. Talk about a culture that was also very difficult following Jesus. This is what it was written to. Read it. See what this new life is about. Or how about here? Maybe you say yes to new life today. And if for you it's your first time, 
or you're rededicating your life to Christ, please come see me right after the service. You are not alone, and we're going to walk with you. But for all of us, maybe for you, it's not just a huge rededication, but to say, you know what, God? I'm setting in my heart these next couple weeks, I'm preparing myself to follow wherever you have for me to go, because I know it's good places. And make that your declaration. God, I'm going to say yes to you. Or maybe to learn what this new life is all about, the good works he's prepared in advance for us. You're going to be so encouraged. Maybe there's another uh, con- uh, commitment that you need to make. Write that down there. If you have a prayer request, write this down as well. Every single week, it seems like, we have an answer to prayer, something amazing. And just this morning, I heard testimony. We've been praying for, for a man uh, uh, named Don, who we've been praying for a long time. He was a, he was a devout atheist, and it was, seemed impossible for him to come to faith. And we found out this morning that God answered our prayers, and three days ago, he accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? Amazing. Yes. God does amazing things. If you have a prayer request, write it down. We'll join you in prayer this week. Bring these things to God. Nothing is impossible for him. In just a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we do, please take these connection cards, drop them in the offering basket. Make these your commitment to the Lord this week. Let's pray for your commitments as well as your offerings, and then we'll have the worship team uh, lead us out with some praise. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are lovely. You are righteous. And God, you are gracious. You have given us, we could never earn for ourselves, eternal life in Christ. Help us to receive that gift, we pray this morning, when we honor you with this life that we have. Lord, today, we have commitments to make. Help us to make them in such a way that honor you. Lord, I pray, too, uh, that you would uh, bless the offerings that we bring to you, an investment in your kingdom, because you are real. We worship you with ourselves and all that we are, because you are worthy. You died for our sins. You overcame the grave. You proved that you are our Savior. Now we come to you and say yes to you, our Lord. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.